Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode number 41 of the NYC Real Estate Podcast. This is Mark Levine. I'm your host. I'm also one of the owners of EBMG, which is a New York City property management firm. And today's guest is super exciting. But before I get to that, let me uh, give you an idea on how you can contact me. If you'd like to email the show, you can do so at nycrealestatepodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's nycrealestatepodcast at gmail.com. If you have any questions or if you want topics covered, we would love to hear from you. And also if you could subscribe and if you could share this with uh, at least one person, I'd be super grateful. But today we actually have Michael Pinkasic, who is a, um, a salesperson or a broker. Salesperson. Salesperson at no. Compass. And uh, you're with the Wilder team? Yes. 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 As so, of recent. So the way that I know you is very interesting. We used to be partners at EVMG and then you decided I have had enough with management you wanted to go over to the the other side of things and you went over to compass so we've got quite a history together and you know we were working together for a bunch of years um so yes actually you emailed you cold emailed me and that's how we started ebmg actually yeah because we were xl bradshaw management group yep. And then I, I was like, I need to get away AMJ from equities. Yeah. I needed to get away from my current, uh, partner who is still my partner, my dad. And then <laughs> I said, I need some, I need some new blood. I need some young blood. I think at that time I had been like in the business for 15 years and I was looking at what I liked about your firm at the time was that you were a similar setup to me where it was a father and son kind of ownership structure. And you had even a lot of the same streets, we had similar buildings. Um, yep. So geographically, it made sense. And then we got together and I'm still partners with your dad, of course. Um, Steve over there, Steve Pinkasic, one of one of my favorites, but you mm -hmm. left us in a lurch and you went over to Compass. Yes. Um, but, but you're yes. doing great. And I'm excited to talk to you about uh, today's topic. And before we go into today's topic, why don't you, I've already established that you were a part of EBMG before, why don't you, since um, you have the floor, tell us about what you've been either doing before ABMG, what you're doing now with Compass, what are you focusing on? Just let everybody know a little bit about you. Absolutely. So I started my career um, in the residential management business when I graduated college for Beach Lane Management. Um, kind of got my feet wet there. I went into commercial property management um, with Newmark um, on the Goral side of things, did some elevator compliance there, some financing work for 40 Worth Street, really did a lot of oversight for the portfolio, different projects that were necessary. Uh, and then I did a short stint over in retail hospitality brokerage with Stephen Kamali Hospitality. They had uh, just moved into their new offices in Midtown um, I did one deal there in my six months. I definitely did myself long enough, but I, I did a lot of cold calling there, which was really nice. And I, I represented a tenant called Dogmatic down on uh, 120 McDougal Street. Um, and finally, my dad said, okay, I'll let you join our management company, which was Carlton Management, um, which he ran with my uncle. And I, I ran some buildings there, both on the acquisition side and on the management side. Um, and about a year and a half later, we decided to venture out into our own um, AMJ equities. We called it Allison, Michael, Jared, my brother, my sister, and myself. Um, 
And that was a really fun year and great neck. And then Mark, you emailed us out of the blue and really was one of the greatest things definitely for our career as a whole. Um, I know definitely for my dad, kept him busy. Um, it's like so adult daycare it, at my office. We don't tell them that though. <laughs> <laughs> we, oh, Hopefully they don't guys. listen to this. Oh, they don't, they don't even know what a podcast is. They're fine. They <laughs> don't ever get um, back to them. And then we spent really the next two and a half years kind of integrating our companies. Um, there were definitely some growing pains and, you yeah. know, I think we got rid of more people than we had for sure. And, um, but we learned a lot. I learned a lot about business. I learned a lot about um, family business. That's for sure. Learned mm-hmm. a ton about the management business and what goes into running the business, which a lot of people don't think about. Um, and I really got to learn a lot about buildings and management and business from a lot of great people. Um, and I took kind of all that vast and varied experience and joined Compass uh, just about three years ago now. I think I started June 1st, 2018. Um, I started out on the rental business just because our family owns and operates those rentals. Um, but over time, I gradually shifted into sales, did a lot of cold calling. Um, and I really used, again, my experience in the management business to bring value to my clients now. Um, what was it about Compass specifically that you wanted to go over to them versus any of the larger players in the space? They were very big on technology. Um, they were all about... Uh, they were kind of an end-to-end platform, which I thought was going to be really valuable to me as an agent, maybe not necessarily to the customer itself, but definitely made things easier for us in terms of marketing, client relationship managers, keeping track of new listings that come on, um, and just some really interesting tools. Like they offer something called Compass Concierge, which is interest-free loans for our clients. Um, So if they need to paint or do alterations, clean up, whatever it may be, I think up to a set amount of dollars, depending on how expensive the apartment is. Um, so this, our clients don't have to come out of pocket and they pay that back at closing. So okay. just those kinds of unique uh, value add propositions that other companies didn't have. And I also like the culture there. It's very laid back. It wasn't as buttoned up as let's say a Halstead or a Douglas Elliman. Um, and that culture kind of they want to make sure that you're a culture fit when you go there. Yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, what it's similar to what, where we were ending up when you were with us. I mean, we went from running like Unix based software on BJ Murray, which is like, was our accounting software to even just a windows based platform was just a big breath of fresh air. So I can imagine going over from uh, a normal company to a compass, which is very tech forward it was just probably very different and you had to get used to it, but I can see the draw mm-hmm. of that. And I think the last time that I saw you, I was married and you were single and now you're married and I'm single. Well, actually I have a girlfriend, yeah. but, but <laughs> life has a way of flipping itself on its head. But, you know, instead of you having to watch me do videos in the office and walk by, you, we get to do a podcast on zoom together now. So I'm happy about yeah, that. Me too. Me too. It's been a long time coming. <laughs> so one of the things that we wanted to talk about today specifically was that, um, various things that buildings can do. And as you know, we focus a major vast 
majority of our business is co-op and condo related, although we do have the rental buildings that we also manage, but from a, a sales perspective and also from a subleasing or a leasing perspective in a condo, um, we were talking before that you feel that there are some things that buildings can do, and this is based on both your management experience and then walking into a building with the other hat on with the broker salesperson experience of what can what are easy fixes for buildings to do to kind of drive prices up and to keep values up because one of the things that when anybody's buying into a, a house or rather an apartment a co-op or a condo some people use it for you know a little bit of time and then they move on but most people really do use it as an investment vehicle it's mm-hmm. their in most cases, their biggest investment that they have in their life, and they want it to grow, but they also want to use the space. Um, so from your perspective, what are you seeing um, are the pain points from a broker side to say, okay, this building, the, the apartment's great. That's not the problem. The problem may be the building and the upkeep or certain things of the building. What are your... I guess, few things that you would look at from the outside perspective saying, if this board had focused on this, I think that we could have gotten either a better sale, a quicker sale, or just this building could go from like class B to class A. Mm-hmm. Well, a uh, couple things. Obviously, the facade is very important. Um, not really much you can do with that, except kind of keep it in good shape. Um, I know that local law 11 has done most of that legwork for us, at least from a structural integrity point of view. But that's only um, going to be also over six stories. That's the problem. A correct. lot of these, yeah. That was, that was my next thing. Anything yeah. under six stories, you know, you probably aren't keeping track of as much because you don't legally have to. And obviously it's a big cost, right? So we understand that um, for these smaller buildings, it's a little bit tougher to do that. Yeah. Um, you're, but Yes, you're absolutely correct on that. And I think Uh, what would be a good practice, like bouncing this back and forth is, even though you may not be legally required to do the every five-year cycle of like a local law 11, because you're smaller than six stories, but you still have a legal obligation to keep the building safe. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of the smaller buildings, if they're not managed properly, they they get used to being smaller and not having to do the work where they really should be doing and every five-year cycle for themselves just to have an architect mm-hmm. come by and just make sure that there's no unsafe conditions. Because if absolutely you can still be thrown into a violation stage. So you're right. Looking at it from a perspective of management, talking to you, the salesperson, mm-hmm. I think that every board should go through it and really uh, take a look at their facade because we don't know what the codes are going to change to. Somebody could unfortunately be, be injured or worse from something falling off of a third story rather than a, you know, a six story. So mm-hmm. these city rules tend to be reactive. Maybe that'll be something in the future that they have to play with. So the less work in the future, the better, you know, if we can phase these things out. Um, from I'm a- kind of waiting for the city to say where facade inspections are now, doesn't matter how tall your building is. Um, every facade has to be inspected every X amount of years. Yeah. That's definitely coming down the pipeline um, it just doesn't make sense not to, and I don't blame the city. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of accidents that have unfortunately happened. Um, but you know, we really have to worry about the safety of our yeah. citizens. In the but city. Unfortunately with the city, it tends to be reactive. So until yeah. 
So, and I don't ever wish this upon anybody, but until somebody gets hurt, I feel like they're back burnering it. And then there's mm-hmm. going to be something that's going to just come out of a, that's going to shoot out of a cannon and we're all going to be responsible for it. Yeah. Um, all right. So we've got the facade. Um, are there any things that you could like, there's obviously different types of construction with the, with the, you know, brick and mortar. And then you've got like mm-hmm. the glass curtain wall construction of maybe the newer, uh, type construction, but is there anything that sticks out in your mind facade wise that, you know, beyond a correction, um, mm-hmm. that kind of jumps out and says, well, you know, these are things that we're seeing that are, um, doing well in the marketplace on the outside of the building? So not so much facade specific in terms of design, but I definitely think just keeping it clean and nice looking. You know, if the marble is cracking, make sure you're on top of that, right? And again, I know it's hard to match probably 20, 30-year-old marble, but just keeping that kind of in good shape, um, you know, light fixtures to make sure it's well lit if you're showing at night. If you can have an awning, uh, that's always nice to have. But again, make sure it's not weathered, you know, dirty. Uh, make sure you can make sure it's legible, all those kinds of things. Um, yeah. You know, I don't know that painting a brick facade will necessarily increase the value any. Right. But certainly keeping an eye on maybe doing a yearly facade inspection um, with your board or maybe some sort of subcommittee is always a good option um, just to see if there's anything you can do, but certainly keeping it just current and well-maintained. So walking through the building, just going into the common area before we jumped on you, you said something that stuck out to me and it was um, we were kind of leading towards the condition of the common areas. It was Mm -hmm. the lobby, the elevator, you know, depending what projects are done, spending the best money on the best things. Like you, I'll let you, I'll let you talk about the elevator Mm because we were talking about that before. I don't want to take your thunder away. Um, Mm -hmm. But what would you recommend? Like, what are you seeing with elevators uh, recently? And this is a good point to jump in just before you do, because a lot of elevators were, were at least the the mechanics of the elevator had to be redone last year. Mm-hmm. Um, we had the door lock monitoring devices for 2020. So all of these elevators that were either outdated or couldn't update to the software or hardware had to completely replace the components. But mm-hmm. you were you were telling me about something before that may have helped some buildings, right? Yep. You know, I, I've walked into a, I've seen a lot of listings online that I get very excited about great locations and you get through the lobby lobbies nice maybe not the nicest you know you're not talking about new development lobby but then you get into the elevator cabs and it just feels tired right i think that and again we all know it's a big expense um so it depends on your co-op financials of course but the the upgrade to the elevator cab the ride up will really change the way you perceive coming home um you know this is at the end of the day it's a big investment but at the end of the day it's still your home and you want that travel from point a to point b to really be enjoyable um which kind of leads me obviously the lobby and the common areas as well um again some lobbies are bigger than others um but you want to make sure that there are no you know odorous smells in the lobby um, obviously that it's clean. If you can maybe look into wallpapering, 
maybe look into doing, you know, a more neutral flooring. Um, I think it makes sense again, every couple of years to maybe bring in some sort of recently priced designer to see if there's things that you can do um, reasonably just to kind of freshen up the space a little bit. Um, again, we don't want you spending $100,000 on the lobby every five years, but certainly spending your money wisely can really change the way that your homes are valued. Um, yeah. So it, first impressions are incredibly important. And also spending the time on or money in the right way with the lobby and not going on trend, but going on something that could be a little bit more timeless. Because if you go on trend, suddenly in 10 years, you're out of trend. And now you've got to spend the money again to get out of what looks now to be outdated or just Absolutely. passe, you know? Um, I think your point is good because some buildings will view the elevator as just a utilitarian type of product. It's I'm going up and going down, I'm going up and going down. They don't look at it from the perspective that you're bringing to it, which is it's the transition between work, work and home for some people, shopping from home, work to go, you know, from home to go to work. So having something that is not going to, uh, or that will alleviate that feeling and just be a better experience would probably lead you up on the first try when you're going up to that apartment, the first time you're seeing it, I guess you're just taking it all in. And is this somewhere that I want to go home to? Um, Absolutely. And a lot of these cosmetics, especially for the elevator, they don't have to be expensive. There, there are companies that could retrofit what you have and you could work with them. Um, It's not like redoing a lobby lobbies and common elements could get a little bit pricey, especially if you have, you know, hallways, long hallways, and you're wanting to do mm-hmm. it, it all depends. There's price points for everything. Um, but in your opinion, and you can always, yeah, I'd say you could always, you know, I understand call financials are a little different than condo. Uh, typically there are lines of credit. Um, it's, it's possible that you could tap into those lines of credits. Um, so you don't have to raise obviously maintenance or anything like that. And it can be over a shorter, you know, longer period of time to pay that back. Um, obviously interest rates are very low. Yeah. So it's not a bad, it's not a bad opportunity to, to look at your lines of credits with your underlying mortgages and, um, and see if there's an opportunity to really increase value. Um, when the, when the market's starting to rebound now, um, last year would have been a very different story. I think a lot of co-ops sat on the sidelines with their money. But now we've, we've seen a lot of traffic pick up. And I think, um, you know, the areas that need it too, you really should incentivize people to, to maximize value. Um, Midtown's having a tougher time right now. Um, I think anything you could do to really bring value to your space, now is the time to do it. And what about amenities? Are you, are you seeing buildings now? It used to be, oh, if there's a bike room, <laughs> that's, that's such a nice amenity. And then it... Yeah transferred over to, oh, there's a kid's playroom. There's a meeting space. What are the things that you're seeing on the middle to the high end as amenities for buildings that could Mm -hmm. make the difference between how people view you in terms of what you're offering, what type of um, buyers you're attracting? What are those important Mm -hmm. pieces of- I would uh, say the two, the biggest thing I'm seeing is- uh, is roof decks. And I know that's not always an option for every building, um, but outdoor space is really valuable right now. Yeah. Um, and I think with people cooped up from home, working from home, 
it's nice to be able to have them go upstairs, host friends outside. I think even once the pandemic really becomes, you know, comes in our rear view, that outdoor space will still be always be a premium. Um, and again, I know that also can get expensive if it's not structurally sound, um, depending on the size of the building. Again, it can get very expensive. Um, so it may not be worth it, but outdoor space is great. The other thing that's been really valuable is not so much an amenity, but allowing washer dryers. I know that's kind of sometimes a hot button issue depending on the age of the building and the plumbing, mm -hmm. but if there's any way for washer dryers to be added, um, that that's really adding a lot of value right now. People, and that's hard. That was yeah. That's yeah. a hard one, as you were saying. And it's also hard for the buildings that have a contract with one of the laundry vendors for space in the mm -hmm. building because their their contracts are built upon a certain uh, revenue stream. And the way that they mm -hmm. pay out the building in a lot of cases is based on how much is uh, collected. And if they don't hit their threshold, then they could withhold money. So mm -hmm. I see it from your perspective of you could get more buyers, but from the co-op's perspective, it's, well, we're going to get less money on the monthly. You know, that's an amenity right. that we offer. And there's a lot of buildings that probably can't take away because if you have rent stabilized or rent controlled, um, those are services that you've already given out. But I could see on the higher Absolutely. end where, you know, maybe you don't have such a big issue or maybe the $700 a month income or less isn't going to affect the bottom line. And those buildings are okay, you know, no problem. That's something that mm -hmm. we'll eat into and we'll worry about that in the future, but we'd rather the higher turnover. Um, yep. Oh, you know what? One thing that we were talking about before, um, before we jumped on and it, it's looking at it from another perspective of for co-ops, especially where there's a flip tax or a waiver option fee. Um, if there's a flip tax or um, a similar, like a, a waiver option fee. Sometimes they do capital contributions, but those are usually like capped out at the same amount. But if you're built upon a number, like a percentage of the sale price, if you're able to do all this work as a building, and then you're able to command higher prices as a building for each individual sale, in theory, it should trickle down to the building back into the flip tax as a higher amount that the flip tax could bring on. Um, you know, we have buildings anywhere from one to 4% on flip taxes that are by the percentage. So if you add that up, I mean, that's significant over a period of 10 years. And what we were saying before was that you can't necessarily say, okay, like in a lighting upgrade, the payback period will be seven years from the time that you install the new LED lighting and the energy savings. We can't do that because it's all market-based, but we could at least eat a little bit into, um, that price of all of those upgrades. Um, so mm -hmm. that was just something that I was thinking before that, you know, boards and owners can take a look at that. Yep. And also I've seen some buildings, it's usually more in condos than co-ops, but if the hallways are not up to par, it's possible that you can kind of rally with your neighbors to maybe redo the carpeting, get someone in there who's relatively expensive to do paint um, and paint the trim and, and redo the carpet. And again, if there's, if it costs you $10,000 and there's five people on your floor, you know, $2,000 is, is not a ton of money to really, again, it's your home. It's like kind of going, you, you want it to feel good getting home every day. Um, even if you're working from home. 
Um, so that's something that, that, that individual unit owners can do as well. I know co-ops don't love that, yep. but, um, <laughs> but it is something that, that everyone can kind of talk about um, on the floor if, if the building allows it. How has your life changed with COVID and showings and open houses and virtual? Mm-hmm. What's been going on with you the last year? Oh boy, where do I begin? Um, it's been much less of a per- interpersonal job. I feel like you can't get as much of a, a close relationship when you're wearing masks. Um, but it's definitely forced me to get back to the basics of real estate. Um, really reaching out to my sphere, trying to network, um, speak to people, see how they're doing. Whereas before it kind of came naturally, you would go to events and you'd be in the city kind of walking around, going out to dinner and seeing people. COVID has really made it, made you work for it, you know, Um, at least on, on the relationship side, Uh, on the showing side, it's been, you know, in the beginning was really difficult. Um, it's eased up quite a bit with vaccine rollouts. Um, but in the beginning, you know, double masks, booties, gloves, hand sanitizer, um, like a bubble boy going into showings. Um, <laughs> you feel like John Travolta back in 1980. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, even still, there are some clients who, you know, who are a little bit more protective, but we don't, we try not to let buyers kind of again, before the vaccine, we try not to let them open closets, um, open drawers, whatever it may be, really keep the kind of touching to a minimum. Um, every, every showing you need uh, Rebney COVID forms. Um, so every client has to fill that out, that they haven't been in contact with someone that has COVID. Uh, now there's a new form that says you've been vaccinated. Um, so try and take as much precautions as possible. We recognize that we do still have clients who may be at risk or just don't want to get COVID and are obviously very respectful of that. Um, the open house has been tough. Um, there's been a lot more legwork as a buyer's agent to get a schedule going on Sunday. Um, whereas normally we would have said, okay, go to this one between 12 and one this one between yeah. 1230 and 1:30, and a couple others here are their open house times. And now that that has gone by the wayside, it's been much harder to show. Um, and, uh, but you know, we're getting through it. Are you looking forward to it going back or have you adapted? I'm looking forward to it going back. I, I, I don't know how soon that will happen. Um, I think it's still going to be a little while, but it made things you know, it's good and bad, right? It's good on the buy side because you can kind of just send your clients. Um, on the sales side, it's nice that you don't have to sit in the lobby waiting for people to not show up. Um, <laughs> That's true. So, and you can kind of plan your day a little bit more accordingly um, if you're, if it's kind of a slower day. Yeah. Um, so it's got its pros and cons, um, but certainly an adjustment and trying to get through it as best we can. But I know it's tough from the building side as well. You know, every management company has different rules. I, as, you, get in. as you were saying that, I got <laughs> an alert outlook on my phone asking, what's the mask policy update? Like, this is all day. <laughs> That's all people want to know. All and day. it's understandable, but it's just 
communication, communication, just everything's changing. It's changing weekly or more. Um, yeah. you know, you're getting different guidance from the CDC, from the mayor, from the governor, from talking heads on TV, from us on podcasts. What do you do? Mm-hmm. You know, I think, I guess everybody if, should, nah, I don't need to get my opinion into it. It's not <laughs> worth wading into those waters. No, but again, every management company is different. So when we get a new listing, we're always in touch with the management. What do you need? How often? How far in advance do you need these forms? Right. Do you need a copy of them? You well, know, actually, the we, board we really... interviews must be a lot easier for you now because they, for the potential buyers, it must be so great that everybody's just doing it on Zoom, assuming everybody does that, it on Zoom. That I hope stays for good because sense. it really is so much easier to coordinate um, you know, buyer interviews with yeah. the boards um, and rental interviews. I mean, if you're subleasing, I know they still do interviews for that as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I hope that stays. Um, I also hope that boards stop asking for paper copies of packages. Um, I think it's a waste of paper. I think it's much easier to view something on a yeah. document and maybe one original copy to the board. That's what we do in the office. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, every management company, every building is different. Um, and also what's interesting that just changed kind of recently is the meeting minutes, the review policies. Mm-hmm. Um, you used to have to come into the office. I know that they're doing some stuff now online where you can send like a Dropbox link That's that expires what... within three days. Yeah. Um, or you can also do it like viewing without being able to print something mm-hmm. so i think that's been really nice too yeah we send out um non-disclosure agreements to the attorney and then i send it out as a mm-hmm. can view link with dropbox that expires and not a can edit link so and i segregated it so i created a new dropbox folder in my dropbox so that that's the only thing that they have access to um and right. that's been helpful too um just dealing with, oh, who's your favorite management company to work with when you're doing sales? Is, is it EBMG? I have to say EBMG, oh, I think. Nice. Yeah, it's solid. I'll send you a beer. Thank you. No, Jill, Jill is always uh, in the transfer department. It's, it's always been a pleasure to work with. She's she's one of the best in the business for sure. She's and I can say star. that now. <laughs> I mean, working with these other management companies, she's just so above and beyond what anyone else does. Um, yeah. There's very few um, transfer departments that will answer emails on Saturdays and Sundays and Jill I'm Correct. on your phone. It's okay. We can wait a day, <laughs> but she's good. Um, have you heard anything? I was just thinking about um, this new law that is possibly coming out. And I don't know if you have any Intel on it, but they're trying to fight it where boards would have to disclose why they're not approving somebody. And I always tell my boards, Great just question. For, those, for those people listening at home, I always tell my boards, do not interview unless you know that you're going to approve them and do not interview if they're not financially sound. Because once you open yourself up to the interview stage, they could, even though you're, you're not giving the reason why you're denying and it's fully legit, it's fully like you cannot afford to live here you know, that might be the reason you open yourself up to Mm -hmm. any sort of discrimination case because a question could have been asked the wrong way. A question could have been answered the wrong way. Um, But what are you Mm -hmm. seeing? And if that comes out and the the buildings are now on the line to say, well, we denied you because of A, B, and C, that's a really big issue for co-ops. They're trying to carve out, right? The language for the co-ops to not have them Mm -hmm. 
abide by that? So it's an interesting question. I know this has been on the docket for years. I was worried about it years ago when I was at EBMG. I know a couple boards were nervous about it. Um, I think there's always going to be ways around it. Um, I mean, you can always say that someone, you didn't feel they were financially qualified enough for the building. I don't know what sort of specifics they're going to give. Are you going to have to say if your DTI for the last two years is 25% that you automatically are in and, you know, two months of mortgage and maintenance post-closing, like that's it. There's some sort of metric system, you know, for it that you can mm -hmm. just kind of plug in and say, okay, you're accepted. Right. Um, are, there's always going to be some sort of room. I think it's a good policy, to be honest with you, because I find... The thing that actually really should happen first, and I, unfortunately boards are never going to say this, but they should be following the asking prices in the building when they go online. Because if they're worried about comps in the building, they should know about it in advance and assume that there's somewhere between zero to 10% negotiability off the current asking price. If they have a problem, they should be able to flag it in advance. Now, the problem is that if they don't like the comps and the market is only giving you the ability to sell for X dollars, how, where, who, who becomes correct in that? The person who wants to sell their apartment for maybe quote unquote below market value um, or the co-op who doesn't want to quote unquote lose value. Like the market is the market. Um, right. And I think I, it's all. I, I think had a building recently go through this in, in Brooklyn and they felt that the sales price was too low. So what they did as a board at board cost, they hired an appraiser, an independent mm -hmm. appraiser, and they actually came back with 10% higher than what the, mm -hmm. the, uh, the settled price was on the contract. So they were able to go right. back appraisal in hand and say to them, look, we had it independently appraised. Would you be willing to amend the contract? To and this was an all cash sale. So we didn't have to worry about the banks, which was a big change, you know, from what you that would changes the whole. Yeah. So they were fine with it. Um, the contract read higher and then they worked it out. But I think the problem, if we went to somebody with the bank, I think they can only go a certain percentage higher um, than the contract. I think it's maybe 6% on the high side. So again, that's why I say like, if the board knows in advance what the asking price is, let's just say for argument's sake, you're at $600,000, but the board wants to see for whatever reason, 625, then maybe make the contract price 625. So you can get the financing on the higher amount and then do some sort of closing credit just so the deal gets done. Yeah. Otherwise, if you're financing, you may not be able to make those numbers work. I had um, a building in uh, Forest Hills. Years ago, they instituted a per share amount minimum. You can't, we won't even mm -hmm. look at, you know, uh, an apartment sale that's less than this amount of dollars per square foot or per share. And everybody was livid. But guess what? The comps went straight up. It worked. Mm -hmm. And now years later, they're outperforming all of their neighbors and nobody's complaining because that's just now what the market is. 
So I think right. if you if you're able to do that and you're able to set parameters for yourself, I think that the building could kind of work mm -hmm. through that problem. I think boards need to be a little bit more open about that because again, I think shareholders need to be understanding and co-op boards need to be more open about it. So that way there's sort of an honest conversation during the contract negotiation phase and say, hey, I got this deal. Will you guys approve this price if the applicant is qualified or where do I need to be so we can get this done? Um, and I, I really think that needs to happen because you're going to wind up getting a lot of having a lot of problems. And yeah. I know it's not the most honest system um, because the comps will read higher than the actual purchase price. So I guess like, are you lying? Are you helping your shareholders? Who does your fiduciary go to and how far do you go with it? Um, it so it, it's, a, it's a tough conversation, but I yeah. think we need to educate everybody so they can really talk it through. Are you seeing mostly financed sales with your people or are you seeing cash sales? It depends on the price point. Um, I think like below, you know, a million dollars, you're usually seeing financing. Um, people want to take advantage of the low interest rates right now. So a lot of people are trying to finance. Um, I would say 95% of deals are getting financed. Um, again, just because the interest rates are low, I think they're making the deals non-contingent to act like they're all cash. Um, but definitely to borrow money at 3% is a no brainer. Yeah. That's all good stuff. So to email you, and I'm going to put all of your contact info in the link description of the video. Um, but to email you, it's MEP at compass.com. What's your middle name? Yep, What's the perfect. E for? Evan. Evan. Nice. Um, that's my girlfriend's oldest son's name. It's a nice name. <laughs> and um, your phone number at the office is 646-809-4273. Can I give out your cell phone since it's right here on the website anyway? Please. Yeah. Give out my cell. It's better. All right. 516-978-4831. And uh, Perfect. hopefully everybody that's looking for real estate could uh, move on over to you and pick your brain and, and go see some showings and maybe close on some deals. I am very big on knowledge. So you can always call me with any questions that you have. I'm happy to talk about anything in this business. Oh, that's awesome. I think we, we went through a lot today. We actually covered a lot more than we I did. thought we would. So I'm, I'm really I happy about be, that. Uh, 20 minutes and an hour later, here we are. That's right. That's how we do it. Hopefully people are still listening. Um, if you are still listening <laughs> and you want to email the show, you can do that at nycrealestatepodcast.gmail.com. Again, nycrealestatepodcast.gmail.com. If you want to call me directly to my office line, 212-335-2723. I'm extension 201. Again, 212-335-2723, extension 201. My company name is EBMG. I'm Mark Levine. It's been awesome, Michael. Thank you for coming to the virtual studio. Thanks for having me. I have a feeling we'll have you back again. This was a great episode. All right. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care, Mark.